Welcome to another edition of Running the Race with Rob King. I'm so glad that you're with us as we continue through the book of Revelation. We are in Revelation chapter 19. In this chapter, there's going to be a little bit of a break from uh, uh, all of the judgment. This happens sometimes through the book of Revelation. This is going to be a chapter filled with, and we're going to go through the first 10 verses of chapter 19, Lord willing, and and there's just, uh, it's filled with worship filled with uh, basically glory given to God for his righteous uh, his righteousness and what he's doing. You know, this is the point of life. You know, what is the reason we exist? We exist to glorify God. We find our purpose in bringing him glory. Think about it. I mean, maybe when you were younger, maybe you've been through college or maybe you're college age, but you're thinking, what's the meaning of life? The meaning of life is to bring glory to Almighty God. That's why when He brings us to Himself, we, we give our life to Jesus Christ. When we're, when we're saved, when we're born again, all of a sudden we get in contact with the reason that that we exist to glorify God. It is why we want justice on the earth. It's why we desire righteousness, holiness. It's what we're going to spend eternity doing, glorifying Him. It will be completely satisfying because it's the reason we exist. He's worthy of glory all the time. The reason that we're married. Why, why are we married? What's the purpose? What's the purpose? The purpose is to bring God glory to worship him, that it would be an act of worship, the love that you have for your mate that that is on display. Why do we parent? To bring him glory. Why do we work our jobs? To glorify God in everything that we do. And we're, we're satisfied when we do this. You can prove this in your own life. As you dedicate your life to Christ, what you want is his His glory. He is worthy to be praised. And this is where in this chapter, chapter 19 of Revelation, we're going to see all of heaven. The focus shifts from the earth to heaven. And now from the earth, where all of this devastation was going on during the tribulation, now the focus shifts to heaven. And there's all of this, all of this glory given to Almighty God, and there's reasons. Now, he's praised for his holiness. It would be easy to praise God for his mercy, his goodness, his kindness, all of these glorious attributes, but we also know that God is glorified for his justice, his judgment. And you can't look anywhere in Scripture throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, where you're not seeing this this continued, uh, repeated theme that God is going to judge. Jesus is coming the second time as a judge. It's, It's like when we talk about the truth. You can't say something's true without insinuating that a whole lot of other things are false. If you ask the question, are you pregnant, and she says yes, she can't be pregnant and not pregnant. She's either or, right? And so God being righteous and being holy and being just, obviously, he's going to judge sin. But here's the amazing thing. We're going to worship him 
not just for his goodness, kindness, grace, and mercy, but for his destruction of the wicked. Deuteronomy 32 says, Rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance on his adversaries. Folks, this isn't hard for us to imagine because this is what we see in the theme of so many movies that we watch. What is the joy and the thrill of the end of the movie is that vengeance has been brought upon all the evildoers, even if it's some sort of weird vigilante justice. We we enjoy that. We want there to be justice and righteousness in the end. Psalm 58 says the righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will wash his feet in the blood of the wicked, and men will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on the earth. What kind of a God would he be if he were righteous and did not judge injustice? And I think the world, see, the world doesn't like this. The world doesn't like this, and the world system doesn't like this, because we don't believe anybody's at fault. And we know that if someone is at fault, then we're at fault, and so no one can be at fault. So we don't like the idea of judgment. We think, well, that's an insensitive God. That's an uncaring God. But that is an earth-bound idea. God is holy. God is perfect. And he is going to judge unrighteousness. And this is throughout Scripture. This, this has never been, and maybe it's a personality thing, this has never been difficult for me to see. I wonder how it is for you to see that God, being holy and being just, will judge the wicked. He will declare, that is right, that is wrong. These are my people, these are not my people. He has absolute authority and an absolute right to do that. Well, it's insensitive, it's uncaring. I think a lot of times in our culture, nobody wants to be wrong because if someone's wrong, then everyone's wrong, and nobody wants to be wrong. Nobody believes that they deserve to be judged. We won't be judged based on righteous comparison to one another. Oh, I'm better than that person. No, we will be judged according to our unrighteousness as we are compared to God. God is will be, at this time, mentioned in Revelation 19, we're just about to get into it, turn and look at verse 1, God will be honored, Christ will be on the throne, and righteousness will rule and reign. And this is why they're rejoicing in heaven. They're rejoicing for a number of reasons mentioned here. Let me just go through a few of them as we look verse by verse here. They're rejoicing because salvation has come. So here's what it says, verse 1, after these things, which is always an indication that John is having a new vision, after these things, new vision, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. That is a multitude of angels, millions of angels singing, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. This form of hallelujah, by the way, this is the only time it's used in the New Testament, and it's the hallelujah associated with the vengeance and judgment of God. We're worshiping God for his judgment, his righteous judgment. Imagine if God were holy and righteous and true and did not judge the unrighteous. But we are worshiping him and giving him glory because salvation has come. By the way, this portion of salvation is the end of salvation, the glorification. You remember in Jude where we're promised that Jesus is going to present us blameless before the throne. 
So how is it that you are saved? You are saved because you are uh, your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. God has then drawn you to himself. He has justified you. He has sanctified you. And he's going to glorify you. How will you how will any of this process happen? It's a it's a chain that's unbroken and it's completely done by God. And our participation now even in that process is by the grace of God. So this part of salvation we're rejoicing in him for salvation. What we're doing there what they're doing there is they're rejoicing in the fact that he has brought to fruition and completion the salvation of his people. Not only that, but he's being worshipped, all of this hallelujah in heaven, is because he has exercised justice. So the passage goes on, verse 2, because his judgments are true and righteous, for he has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he's avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. So God's people are troubled by um, injustice, lies, filthiness, sinfulness, the things that used to not bother us at all, we are now troubled. When we hear of wickedness in the world, when we hear of things that are being done and said that do not glorify God, there's so many things in our culture right now that they not only that they don't glorify God, but that, that you can just see that it is a... It is a a rebellious snub of the nose towards God. So many of the things. When, when, when we try to tell our Creator, when we refuse the gender that He has given us, and we say, no, I'm going to choose that. What kind of rebellion is that? And we see that, and it's, and it's, it's disgusting and, and it's unjust, but there's going to be a time when his judgment comes and he judges all of that. There will be rejoicing because of his justice. Jeremiah 23 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. We're going to rejoice when that happens. He's judging the harlot, right? He, he's judging the, the false religion, antichrist system. And he's avenging the blood of his saints and his bondservants. This is what it says in Deuteronomy 32. I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh. With the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired leaders of the enemy, rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance on his adversaries and will atone for his land and his people. So there is a promise. I mean, there are promises throughout the Old Testament that God is going to judge. He's going to have justice, but it's not only there. It's also in the New Testament. Think of what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. He said, it's only just. There's a key right there when he says it's just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Now think about this. This is in the New Testament. This is Paul talking this is, this is Paul talking about our Father who is holy. He said it's only just that God is going to do what? Repay. Well, how is he going to do that? Affliction to those who afflict you. And to give relief to you who are afflicted. 
and to us as well, when this happens, listen to what he says, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Folks, in the first century, Paul was teaching what the Old Testament taught. Paul was teaching what the Old Testament taught about God's judgment and his justice. And, and then he's, he's saying there's going to be a time when the Lord Jesus comes with all these angels and with fire and destruction and judgment. So there's rejoicing over the fact that God is now bringing justice. Here's another one. I think this is number three. There's rejoicing in heaven because rebellion is ended. Verse 3. Chapter 19 of Revelation. And a second time they said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. What are they rejoicing over there? Her smoke rises up forever and ever. This is like Sodom and Gomorrah. In other words, when God destroys a city, it's not coming back. There's no, you know, Gomorrah strong going to happen with the people and they're going to rebuild the walls. No, when God destroys it, it's over forever. So when God destroys this false religion, it is forever. This means her smoke rises up forever. There will never be another false religion. Now think of that. There will never be worldly philosophies that, that try to come against the wisdom of God. There will never be injustice, unrighteousness, or human depravity and sin. It's all gone forever. That's reason to rejoice, right? Reason number four to rejoice, they're rejoicing there, is because God is completely sovereign. He's in charge. He's in absolute dominion. This is what we desire more than anything else, right? So the 24 elders, we go to verses four through six now. The 24 elders are best seen as the representatives of the church. And the four living creatures that it talks of, these are high-ranking, powerful angels. They worship God, and they say, amen, hallelujah, amen, let it be, okay, let it, let it so be, so be it, yes, this is what we want, and the voice came from the throne, this is an angel, and uh, an angel saying, give praise to our God, you, 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 his bondservants, that's the redeemed, whenever the Bible talks about bondservants in the New Testament, talking about the redeemed, those who fear him, small and great. In other words, let all of the redeemed praise the Lord, because God's kingdom is coming in its fullness. So there's these hallelujahs for the Lord God Almighty reigns. And then it goes on to say, and here's reason number five for rejoicing, because the marriage of the Lamb is complete. Says this, it says this, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So we need to understand something about the marriage, um, the marriage of the lamb being completed. There's rejoicing here because they understood, uh, and this was in New Testament times, there was first the engagement, there were years of preparation, I mean, the engagement would be done by parents. Parents would say, this one's going to marry that one. There would be this uh, betrothal, right? There would be the presentation. This is uh, the stage of the wedding, the festivities before the ceremony. And then there's the ceremony. 
So betrothal or engagement, presentation and ceremony. And this was a you know long drawn out process. And these marriages were 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 long. I mean, these the the, the more money you had, the longer the ceremony would actually be. So the church, think about this. If we're to understand the marriage of the Lamb and the marriage supper of the Lamb, the church was engaged in eternity past. When when the Father promised the Son a redeemed people, names written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. It's not like we sinned and then God had to come up with some kind of plan. Oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. No, he had planned from the beginning of time to present a bride to his son. And this is a theme throughout all of Scripture. And this is the reason they're rejoicing, because there has been thousands of years after the engagement of preparation, and then there has been the rapture of the church, which is the presentation And then there's another thousand years before the ceremony, right? Before the actual ceremony. The rapture marks the time when the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, is presented. And then the final union of the bridegroom and the bride is the great supper. And so this is what this passage is referring to right now. And they're rejoicing because the marriage time has finally come. This idea, then there's this ceremony, this thousand-year-long ceremony. It's not difficult when you think about the thousands of years of engagement, right? This has been a long process. His bride has made herself ready, which means God's gracious work has been done. When it says that his bride has made herself ready, this isn't saying that we have done anything in and of ourselves. It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's doing this work. It goes on to say to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, which is just radiant, glistening, dazzling, pure, right? Righteousness, fine linen, the righteous acts of the saints, which are Christ's righteous acts of the saints. And then it says, which by the way, when we are with Christ, we will no longer have righteousness imputed, but it will be imparted. We will be righteous. We will be like him when we see him. It's not a righteousness of our own. It's it's his righteousness, but now it's our righteousness in heaven for all of eternity. Then he said uh, to the apostle, right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So this is basically saying all believers from all times are invited and will spend eternity with the Father in heaven, all of them. This is reason for rejoicing. Then it says, these are true words of God which means these words can't be thwarted. They can't be done away with. This would have really encouraged John because John was at a time when he was obviously on an island in Patmos and and the church looked like it was beleaguered, to say the least. There was a, a already early on an infusion of what pre-Gnostic ideas and what looked like, I mean, the church was under great duress 
And now John is seeing this vision from the future, and he's, he's seeing the fact that the church of Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign. It's going to make it. The bride is going to make it to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and nothing that the world does is going to keep that from ha- happening. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Had to be encouraging to him. And so what he, what did he do when he heard all of this? He fell at his feet to worship him. John fell at the feet of the, uh, of the angel in order to uh, worship the angel. And of course, the angel of the Lord is going to say to John what uh, the apostles would say as well, which is, do not fall at my feet and worship me. I am, I'm not worthy. And uh, this is the same thing that the apostles said when they tried to worship him. Oh man, these remember when Paul uh, is on the island and the people wanted to worship him because he threw a snake into the fire. Uh, remember in when Elijah said the same thing. I, I am a man just like you. Don't worship me. This John falls down to worship this angel, and the angel says, Do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, which is where we started. Worship God. This is the whole point of our life, to bring glory to the Lord every single day in all that we say and do. And then he ends this portion of Scripture by saying, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This simply means that the central theme of the Old Testament, all of the prophecy of the Old Testament, and all of the New Testament preaching is all about Jesus Christ, His gospel, His salvation, and eventually His return, His judgment, his justice, his marriage uh, of the Lamb uh, to the church, and him reigning forever and ever. We worship him for his mercy, but we worship him for his righteous judgment forever and ever as well. So, Father, we come to you today and we ask you that you would help us to bring you glory, God in everything that we say, in everything that we do. May we glorify and worship you in everything, in every portion of our life, that you would be glorified, that you would be honored today in what I think, what I say, how I live, in my marriage, in our parenting. May we glorify and worship you. Lord, we don't just glorify you for your mercy and your grace. But we magnify you today because you are absolutely just. We thank you for your justice. We thank you for your judgment. We thank you for your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.